When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They could break here, Chelsea. This could be the moment. Frank Lampard for Chelsea. It's Carvalho to his right. Lampard for the title. Lampard, it's 2-0. It's Chelsea's championship. And 50 years of waiting have come to an end. Lampard comes out to Essien. Good evening, listeners. Welcome to another edition of Chessy Hour. I am hosting today. I go by Timson. I'm here with Buzzy. How are we doing, my guy? I'm good. How are you, man? Very good. Um, well, I want to say very good, but I'm looking at Chelsea and I'm looking at kind of the optimism for the season and I feel kind of empty. I know that's partially because of last season, but um, I ha- we haven't really signed anyone that makes my head turn and go, do you know what? I'm excited. If if I was ha- if we were having an Arsenal kind of transfer window, I'd probably be a bit more excited, but yeah, we'll see. So life, life's good. Chelsea is a question mark at, at best, maybe. And sadly, Chelsea has a massive impact in terms of my overall state of mind, sadly. Yeah, that's how it is. That's how it is. Exactly. Um, yeah, the Arsenal window that they're currently having is kind of what you know, we've done in years past when our team is is on the rise or you know closer to, closer to competing. And it's like, here's the window that's going to put us over the edge. That's, uh, as you said, that's not quite where, where we are right now. So Exactly. Teams, teams in two different phases, for sure. For sure. And we have a full lineup. In terms of agenda, we're going to be talking about Mason Mount um, saying farewell to Aspilicueta, selling to our rivals, um, our remaining transfer targets, and our youth network, who's, that seems to be signing all manner of kids, and um, where our new signing or our high-profile signing of Christopher and Kunku, uh, where's he going to fit? Um, and anything else we can kind of think of uh, during the recording. So without further ado, let's get into it. Um, the main talking point will probably be Mason Mount. He's now departed Chelsea and signed for rivals Manchester United. Um, a lot of mixed, re- mixed, mostly negative reactions I've seen on my timeline uh, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, Buzzy, what's your thoughts on Mason Mount departing? Yeah, it's, uh, I guess it depends who you ask, right? He's a player that became increasingly divisive uh, over the years. You, it, it quickly became a love him or hate him 
I think either either way, uh, before we you know talk about it a little more, it's it's kind of wild, no matter which side you you fall on that that this happened. I feel like even if you weren't a big fan, it was hard to not imagine him on the team uh, like a couple seasons ago. Um, he was kind of Mr. Chelsea. He was the he was on all of our our PR stuff. He was he's just the you know the young academy face of the club, young English player, and uh, all of a sudden playing for United. So it's definitely an odd one. Um, I have also seen a lot of negative like reactions out of certain quarters like how could how could you do this like how could we sell him how do we let this happen um and then you know on the flip side fans who are like thank god we don't have to look at him anymore <laughs> thank god we don't have to hear about him um and also that and i can kind of get this angle too respect respect that we didn't just kind of give him what uh you know whatever he wanted um if we didn't think whether right or wrong if we didn't think he was worth uh, the wages he was asking um they stuck to their stuck to their ground, and I see. Uh, we'll see how that you know if he bangs for United. Obviously, it's going to look pretty bad, but at least they stuck to their guns. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see if he regret that one. Personally, somewhere in the middle of those two camps, it's like I don't think he's crap. Um, I think his highs are pretty high. I think he'll be a solid player for United. I don't know if he's going to be seamless with the kind of midfield makeup that they have, um, but I could see it working. I think he's good. I think. Maybe not a game changer though. Like even in top form, he's he's a productive and useful player. I don't know if that's a real bar raiser for a team um, who is trying to you know win it all. Um, and we got a decent fee out of it, so I guess uh, kind of happy to move on regardless. Um, hope we don't regret it too much. Same with uh, same with Havertz to Arsenal, but yeah, it's, it's about where I sit. Nice. I think you look at any kind of academy, and if they're told that they will produce a player that will go for 55 with potential to go up to 60 million um, in profit to Manchester United. You're seeing that as a overwhelming success, but the fact that some players are kind of there, there's mixed feelings about his actual departure um, speaks volumes about Mason Mount's impact or his, um, the impact he's had at Chelsea and just kind of how highly rated he has been at spells in the club. Obviously, back-to-back player of the year in um, under under Lampard, Tuchel. And just generally, he seems like um, a cornerstone in the um, England team um, or at least a key part um, of the squad, maybe not in the starting eleven with certain players, but... Yeah, in terms of his, um, so we've talked about his kind of departure in general. Um, let's break it down and talk to um, and talk about what you think we'll miss from Mason Mount as a player. Um, I'll start off with um, with Mason. It with Enzo and towards the end of the season, it got very hard for me to see how he could stake a claim in the starting eleven. Um, especially when we were playing that back three system. Now in a back four, um, it's a bit clearer, obviously with the likes of Kovacic, Loftus-Cheek, Jorginho gone. Um, Initially with those players still in the team, it was hard for me to see how um, he could stake a claim in the 11, just because he's not exactly um, the playmaker you go to. So he's not to use Arsenal, for example, um, he's not the Martin Odegaard in the team. Things aren't gonna. He's not gonna make things happen. Specifically, he's probably a secondary playmaker, which is kind of what Arsenal have uh, will use Kai Havertz with. So when Odegaard is being man marked or they're they're stopping supply to him, you would want then 
play to come through Kai Havertz and Kai Havertz to be um, uh, crashing into the into the box late. Uh, and I think that's more of what um, Mason Mount would like as a secondary playmaker role, but it is quite a niche role. And in terms of creativity, I know he gets a lot of assists from set pieces and things like that. Um, a lot of what he's been lauded on more recently at Chelsea has been his off-the-ball work in terms of his pressing um, and his ability to kind of see the game from a tactical perspective, know when to be, um, especially under Tuchel when we had those two tens, know when to um, sit as a third midfielder alongside a Kovacic and Jorginho and when to be one of the, when to be like an attacking three um, based on the flow of the game. But that's just my take on it. Um, Buzzy, what's your take on what we'll miss uh, in regards to Mason Mount on the pitch? Yeah, I think those are all all accurate points. And I think also that kind of speaks to why we moved both him and Havertz. It's that that role, I think, was, you know, crash the box, sort of a not not quite a 10, not quite an 8. Um, we tried doing variations of those with both of them. Um, and I think, may, I hope, I'd like to think, the optimistic view first, I'll take, I'll take the optimistic view first, is that, the club kind of see the squad as they plan to lay it out and see the squad as, as the new manager wants to set up and sees these kind of in-betweener players and thinks like that's just not really the ideal player for the position he imagines. It's like neither of them, as you said, like neither of them are creative 10 passers first. So um, if we're going to play 4-2-3-1, you know, I don't think we still have that player really in the squad, but you can't really use them as a pivot player. You're not really using them as a creative passer. Averts we tried up top. Mount kind of got tried in between. So it's it's all those things you said that's like the box crashing role. Are we really going to have that? Now we have Nkunku here. Um, so I agree that their hybrid nature between the two of the players we sold kind of worked against them long-term, I think, in finding uh, the specific way we want to use them. And that doesn't mean that they won't succeed at those clubs because I think Arsenal in particular, I can see I can see the Havertz role working, working very well for him. Um I think that's kind of how we should be utilized. And I think there's a pretty good chance uh, that works out. Um, Mount, it's all the things you said, right? It's the high, the kind of the hot, let's say the high floor, but the respectable work rate and, and reasonably high floor performance game in game out um, that you can expect out of him effort off the ball. Uh, he retains possession pretty well, not, not necessarily in his passing, but in, you know, when he's on the ball, um, turning back, passing it safely. He doesn't really have the expansive passing game. Um, I think we'll miss sort of just the energy and work rate, and he's not afraid to pop off a shot. That's often not for the best because I've gotten frustrated with him plenty over the years of shooting into defenders um, in particular, like taking a shot, an ill-advised shot at the edge of the box. And sometimes you want shooters to shoot, right? But I don't think he has such a you know vicious shooting technique or, or this like amazing track record of scoring these compared to how often he just takes a shot instead of a defender instead of looking for the pass. Um, sort of has that tunnel vision issue. So his crossing is really good. So we'll probably miss that. I think that's, if you want to criticize it, uh, kind of where a lot of his creativity came from, both on set pieces, as you said, and just an open play. It's a lot of get wide, get a deep cross in. Um, less so the open, uh, you know, through balls in the middle. That's not really the type of game we're going to miss um, from him. So he's a, he's a very hardworking cog. Um, and maybe we didn't want to, we are, we, the club maybe feels they already saw his ceiling and don't want to pay him as a star, which I know a lot of fans, uh, you know, share that opinion. Um, so I think we'll miss a very useful player to have who I would be, have been happy to have if you wanted to stay, but it's like you said, it's a little difficult to see where he guaranteed week in, week out is a starter. And that's clearly how he sees himself. Um, 
And if we don't want to pay the money accordingly, then, you know, here we are. Well said. I think with obviously reports are conflicting, but with what I've seen, some people have said that Mason wanted to be paid higher than Arise James, to which the club said, we don't believe his performances warrant that kind of remuneration. And if you look at it in terms of potential, personally, I'm of the opinion that I don't think there's a harder international squad to get into than England at right back. And Reese James for me is someone that you could clearly see as um, someone to have a strong case for being right back when every right back is on form. In terms of his position at a European and um, global level, you can see a case for him being one of the best or if not world-class in his position. Mason Mount, I'm not quite seeing that. I'm very much seeing he, I, I looked at kind of where he could fit for United and in his best positions as like a 10 or a box-to-box eight, there's no absolute guarantees. Obviously, the the money that United have put down suggests he's not going to come in and just be a backup or rotation. And the, and the number seven shirt, which was pretty surprising. Yeah, I know that was shocking. But then for me, I'm looking at it, okay, he could be quite handy as if you spend that much for um, a decent level utility player. So mm-hmm. if Ten Hag goes to a 4-3-3, he could definitely um, rotate and take minutes away from Christian Eriksen. He, when Martial finally goes or they finally give up with Martial and Greenwood doesn't come back, you could very much see him kind of operating on that left wing for certain games when Rashford has to play through the middle because there's no other alternatives. Also, obviously, if they go to a 4 2 3 1 and Bruno needs a rest or Bruno's not performing, you have Mason playing in that 10. So he can kind of do um, a very good job in multiple positions. So maybe that's part of the reason why they were so they were they were willing to give out that much money to Chelsea. But all in all, I don't think his um overall skill set will be something that is irreplaceable uh to Chelsea. But let's just move on to kind of the scenes behind his departure. So obviously what we've seen from certain players like a Ruben Loftus-Cheek has been kind of um, long, heartfelt statements um, as kind of goodbyes to the club. Mason decided that a video would be more accurate where he could kind of, um, you could hear his voice, kind of see his emotions on his face, read body language. And um, yeah, now people are looking at it and they're looking at the video and they're looking at his reveal at United and the social stuff since his signing. And obviously his hairstyle is now different. People are saying that he's had this hairstyle. He's had this kind of farewell video recorded several weeks ago. So um, seems comes up cross a bit more disingenuous what is your thoughts around that also um some of the statements he's made um he said that he's made the decision to in the in the actual video he said he made the decision to leave Chelsea in one of his early United interviews whilst he was getting a tour of Old Trafford he said um he didn't see a place for him at Chelsea or like he wasn't in their plans um which is uh contradictory obviously what's your take on just kind of um the gray bits surrounding his um announcement of his departure and um some of the things he said since 
Yeah, it's uh, it's something that all fit, feeds into. This is just how odd how it went down, right? Um, both the fact that he left at all, again, like I said at the top, is surprising, but also the fact that uh, we don't really know what happened. Kind of just coloring all this, and he very quickly went from like Mr. Chelsea to kind of a person <laughs> persona non grata. Um, you know, uh, fans angry at him, not just for leaving, but kind of the way it's, it's gone down. Um, I think. Yeah, the video, I can see why he wanted to do that. Um, but I don't think, you know, it came, I think, I don't think it came off that well. Uh, whether whether that's because he was reading this pre-written thing, which is understandable. I don't think there's really, like, it makes sense to get everything you want down and then want to read it out. But because he, like, wrote it down and then had to read it out, he kind of was trying to do, like, a dramatic reading of his own script. <laughs> so he's kind of, like, putting on, like, affect kind of acting. He didn't seem that, like, torn up. I don't know. You compare that to the way Aspliquetta, um, you know, tearing up in his video. Look, this stuff maybe matters to some people more than other. Maybe it doesn't matter at all. But um, there's no doubt Aspliquetta's feelings are genuine, and there's no doubt really that Mount feels a little, uh, you know, hard done by, and it didn't go his way, and he seems a little eager to get out, and is going to a direct rival. And that's just that's just the facts. And um, you know, I don't necessarily know if it's contradictory that he said. I chose to leave versus that wasn't in their plans. Cause yeah, like he got the sense that they didn't want to sign him or they didn't want to offer what he wanted, or they didn't want to guarantee him to be a starter. That could be all the things he meant by the idea that, um, that he wasn't in their plans. Um, and then say he decided to leave as opposed to sticking it out anyway, or signing a one-year deal or letting his contract run out. So like there are two, you know, there are various ways both things could be true. Um, at the end of the day, like I said, it matters maybe to some people more than others. Bottom line is, he left in not great circumstances and probably burned a lot of, if not all of the goodwill our fans had, which again, uh, I just keep saying is so, is so even if you didn't like him that much all along, it's very strange how this all played out and that, uh, that he's, he's suddenly gone, but um, definitely, uh, definitely not a, a happy, happy departure. So I think, uh, I think this is kind of a feeling that will persist with Mount in most of the fan base now is this kind of just agitated, got rid of all the good feelings and, and you know so it goes i guess for sure and on that note i think it makes sense to segue onto a more positive departure or a departure done the right way some will say cesar athbilicueta has now left chelsea how do you feel about aspi buzzy um for me he was um on his in at his best, he was one of the best in his position. He was Chelsea to his death. I believe his children don't really know a life outside of London um, and Chelsea. Um, he's someone that has just been very, very reliable. Obviously, Father Time is undefeated. So, in the twilight of his Chelsea career, um, his performances and um, physical ability did dip, but it also coincided with the emergence of a Reese James. And um, whilst he wasn't the vocal captain, he was someone who clearly loves the club and you felt that in his um, departure video as well. And he will be someone that is definitely a Chelsea club legend and I will think of fondly. What's your take, Buzzy? Yeah, I mean, you said a lot of it. Um, Seven million, well spent. That was... Looking back on that, you know, <laughs> one of the best values for money you'll find in, in a transfer fee. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he, like you said, he wasn't the one to be in the press conferences making noise, giving giving 
you know, bold sound bites and things like that. But every game, uh, high level of performance, all left it all on the pitch, you know, week in, week out. Um, he is someone who loved the club. Clearly he won it all with us. There's, there's, uh, other than, other than the fact that he, uh, you know, his performance waned a little in this last couple seasons. There's very little you can say badly. He played multiple positions for us. He start, you know, started left back, eventually locked down right back, but was a really good, you know, right side and center back in the back three as well. And he's, you know, he's not a tall player and he was still able to be smart. He's, he's not the, he's quick, but he's not the paciest player. And he, he always would run out, you know, every attacker's run, you would, you would track it. He, just all effort all the time. Last ditch tackles, last ditch blocks. Um, I love them. Um, you know, you're, not, not many people are going to get a, a you know, defender or right back's name on their shirt. I never did, but he's he's the guy, kind of guy who makes you want to because he just he just gives all his all for the club. Um, and I think even his even his downturn in form um, was, you know, obviously it's going to happen. And we didn't do many favors by needing to play him as much as we did with no real, you know, other cover for Reese James. Like with the amount of times that that Reese was injured, it was like. Yeah, we kept Aspliquitz on for a season, maybe two seasons longer than perhaps we should have for someone who ended up having to play as many minutes as he did, right? Like he, he probably at that age and that sort of decline in his physical attributes probably shouldn't have had to play that much. And that's just that's just what happened with the squad planning. It's a little unfortunate with the injuries. Um, so I hope that didn't color people's you know perception of him too much because he was not great at times during those runs, but he still had, uh, he still had his moments. Um, you know, he had lockdown games. She said his peak was was uh, one of the best one-on-one defenders around, and he still showed that every now and then with really, really good, just good reading of the game, um, even in these later years. And going forward, a bit underrated. That uh, never forget that Aspliqueta deep diagonal kind of cross to Morata for a few headed goals. That thing was like clockwork. Um, and he's just a smart guy, and he's well spoken, and he's a good representative of the club. Yeah, he'll he'll be missed, and I think he'll be. Uh, he said his connections to Chelsea and to London. Um, I think he'll be. I think he'll be back in some capacity, whether just a frequent visitor, you know, maybe lucky enough to be on the staff in some capacity in the future. But yeah, I love. I love the guy. Yeah, he's one of those players that you hope once their playing career is done, they at least come back to the city, or you see them in punditry roles speaking positively about Chelsea. Uh, one such player who I'd love to see kind of at the very least like relocate back to England is Eden Hazard, but um, maybe we'll touch on him later in his kind of future. Are you surprised at all before we move on from SB uh, that, I mean, he's 33, he's not ancient and it's not that surprising that he wants to go, you know, if he's going to go anywhere, it's going to be in Spain. Are you a little surprised he didn't just kind of retire or stop playing? Or is it not surprising to you that because he has to uproot his whole family, like we said now, or or leave them in London, right? If that's where they're comfortable, um, just to go play in Atlet- at Atletico for a season, two seasons. Um, part of me is a little surprised he didn't just hang it up and and retire here. Yeah, who's to know kind of the backing or the thought process behind it I'm sure family would have a strong backing for it I know obviously one of the reasons why we've sold we sold Petacek to Arsenal was because for the sake of Czech's family to remain in London and remain in a similar area mm-hmm. uh, was a big motivating factor for wanting the Arsenal move I know one of the reasons why En Hazard probably didn't leave earlier than he did was because his wife was so in love with the city and he said 
post Chelsea that when he's done at Madrid um, and potentially wherever else he goes to, he'll come back to England. Um, I think maybe here's just obviously speculation, maybe obviously because his children, all they know is England, um, maybe just so they get those Spanish roots. Um, maybe it would be good for them to kind of live in Spain. Obviously, they speak Spanish, um, but maybe just having a couple of years of um, living in Spain would be good from a cultural perspective um, if that's long-term where they see themselves settling um, instead of coming back to England. So maybe that was a factor. As you said, I guess I guess we'll never know. But yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised as a competitor. He wants to keep playing, really. But I, I also I was just thinking about the family aspect. Uh, you know, he has he has several kids, and they seem rooted in London. So to either move them or have to play away from them for much of the year, part of me surprised at 33 years old. But um, he's also not the type of person to want to retire. So I get it. Yeah, he's still definitely got thing. Um some fuel left in the tank so we wish him all the best and we thank him for his years and years of service all right another topic i wanted to discuss was um selling to rivals <clears throat> now part of this comes to part of this comes from the need to actually sell in general obviously we had two not so great windows, particularly the summer window, you can call almost a failure. Um, Raheem Sterling, like that, for me, the jury is still out on that one. Wesley Fofana is the one that I would say, yeah, that will probably come good. But now you look at the price at which at which we signed him for, 85 million, and you think, you think, the fact that he barely played for Chelsea last season and the fact that Leicester situation means that they are never selling him for that much because they, they're not in the same financial um, situation um, to be able to, to demand such fees. Case in point, selling um, James Madison for 40 million seemed almost laughable um, nine months ago. So, had we had just waited, we probably would have been able to get Fofana potentially for um, a lot less and obviously give Levi Colwell an opportunity to play at Chelsea. And maybe we're not in a situation where we need to give was, um, Levi Colwell the keys to the kingdom because we would have given him the minutes that um, last season and he would have been kind of um, he would he would have been more comfortable of his future and the pathways at Chelsea. But um, these situations has led to us selling to rivals, Kovacic to Man City, Kai Havertz to Arsenal, um, Mason Mount to Manchester Manchester United. These are all direct rivals who will be competing for for European places, whether it's Champions League remains to be seen. Um, how do you feel about selling to rivals? The players in general, I'm not too upset to see go. Um and for me, um, the only one I'm most worried about in terms of strengthening the arrival would be um, Kai Havertz because I think we've dropped the ball with um, so many young talents. I was speaking to Joe Tweedy about this and we said, when was the last time a player, we signed a player and improved them um, and, you're, and we had a long think, we struggled we struggled, especially in recent memories as well. And Kai Havertz was seen as someone who was um, 
as close to a sure thing in terms of um, football and talent as possible. Um, almost in 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 that same re- region of kind of what a, what a huge talent um, we now regard Jude Bellingham as like kind of it's almost impossible to fail, too big to fail his talent, um, and he's kind of at the very least stagnated at Chelsea. And um, I think we need to hold our hands up and look at ourselves and go, um, we have to take a lot of the blame for that. Obviously, not all the blame because Kai um, Kai uh, also has to kind of hold his hands up as well. But in regards to um, selling to rivals, um, he's the only one I think could really, re- really make us regret it the same way um, De Bruyne did going to City after Wolfsburg. What's your take on kind of firstly selling to rivals and um, kind of the players that we have sold to rivals, kind of do you see anyone potentially going from strength to strength? Do you see all of them going to strength for strength? If they do, is that an indictment on Chelsea? What's your take, Buzzy? Yeah, um, so I I am not on, a, on an individual, oh, what's that? On a general basis, I'm not against doing it ever. It's not one of those things I don't think you should ever do, but I do think you obviously have to be very careful on a case-by-case basis. Um, if you, for example, Kovacic to City, he's a good player. I always back Kovacic more than some did. Um, I think he's really talented. Obviously, there isn't necessarily, like, he's not a pure defensive player. He's not, you know, a, a number 10. He's kind of in between, plays central midfield, does a little bit of each. But I still love his skill set and his, you know, ball progression and dribbling ability and all that. He's a player who will make any team better except maybe if that team is city. So like, I think there, I mean, there are, we all know, like they're, they're absurd. Um, They're so good already. It's one of those things that I think he's going to maintain their level. He's going to fit right in. Um, But that right now where our team is and with Kovacic's age, it's hard. It's tough to say it's it's almost irrelevant to Chelsea as it stands. Um, We're not, we're just not competing with city right now. And that's just kind of, (laughs) <laughs> that's just kind of the reality of it. By the time Kovacic is, you know, older and uh, our young squad is aged up, you know, he, he won't be in his prime. Um, and I hope, you know, I hope what I just said is true, that it's just, it doesn't end up being that relevant to us. Um, and he wanted to go. His contract was going to, you know, run out eventually. And we, he was a good servant for the team. We sent him where he wanted to go. We got a, a decent you know, chunk of change in return. Um, and that's just how it is. So, like, a, a transfer like that doesn't really bother me, per se. Um Mount and Havertz are the other kind, right? The kind of the De, the De Bruyne um, potential. I'm not saying Mount's as good as De Bruyne, but I'm saying it's one of those things where you're selling them at a young age. Um, you're selling them when they're kind of hungry and have something to prove and that they also both had, if not consistent, stretches of good form, which I think Mount has had more than Havertz has had. Um, if not that, then at least, at least pockets of showing what they can do. Um, Havertz has had good runs and good games and big matches and all that and scores some big goals and has been good at times. Um, but I don't think he's had this long, consistent run of, of really good performances. Part of that's the team. But as you said, he also, let me say, backtrack, not part of that's the team. A lot of that is the team and the management and the you know poor attacking sides or just overall poor sides we've had. Um, but some of it's on him too. He got a lot of game time in my view. And I'm someone who backed him. I was, so, like you said, close to a sure bet as it seemed like I was a huge proponent of that transfer. I really liked Havertz. That was one of the first transfers since maybe Hazard that like, I was like, yes, like we got a young gem. We we were the ones who moved before he moved to an elite club. We got him this time. 
it's going to be great. He's going to be here for years. I similar to Mount, I can't believe he's actually gone already. And further, I can't believe it's to Arsenal. Um, it's just it's just is odd in the same way Mount going to United feels a little a little odd. Um, that being said, I think he has a better chance than Mount of kind of making us re- regret it. Um, he still he didn't play. Uh, people have different opinions on this, including the, the, the Chelsea Hour um, you know, members. But I think his performances were often either under underrated or understated. Or um, and then there's the obvious games where he scored, you know, and, and played well, right? And then a lot of the time. I don't think he played well in a lot of the games and a lot of the minutes he got. I don't think he played well. There are games where he didn't score and he was playing really well and people weren't noticing it so much. Dropping deep, linking up, progressing the ball upfield really quickly. All these things he's good at when he's on form. And it makes me, aside from scoring, it makes me like wonder where that player was the rest of the time. Because I watched him a lot. And again, a big fan. I was giving him benefit of the doubt plenty. I watched him a lot and was mostly frustrated because I'm like, when he's playing well, I want that player out more of the time. And I don't know if it was like, purely on his desire or just the opponent or, or the way our team was set up to make it happen. But sometimes it just looks like he's, he flips the switch and it's just not the same, not the same guy. Um, I think he's going to want, uh, well, I should say I'm surprised still he was able to harness that into such a big transfer as even a lot of Arsenal fans were kind of surprised um, that he was, we were able to get that much money for him, that we were able to get that much money for him still. Um, but that's because I think Arsenal see those good elements and also imagine the role for him uh, that you, that you spoke about earlier and that I touched on earlier. Uh, I think Arteta has that plan for him and vision. And I think even though he frustrated us or was in and out of form and not that consistent, he has those attributes and that he's still young. The tools are still there. And I think if you put him in the right setup and system, we may, we may end up regretting, uh, regretting that move. I think I agree with you. He has the biggest chance to make us not look so good um, in that transfer. At the very least, they did pay a lot to find out if that will happen. Um, so, you know, it's not like at least, it, it's only, it's, you know, small comfort if he does really well, but at least it wasn't for a tiny fee. Um, but I would have loved to actually, I think, I think seeing him under uh, Pochettino was something I really would have loved for at least a season. I think they actually would have jived and he could have found the exact right um, role for him, maybe in the, you know, the middle of the four, two, three, one. Um, but now we will not know. Uh, which is which is a little a little rough. Um, Mount, I think, will maybe at best United get kind of the best season we saw from him, you know, out of him more consistently. I don't maybe maybe that's underrating him. Again, we, we touched on it. <laughs> the Mount, the opinions on Mount very far and wide, but um, I don't know that he's going to like go up several levels from what you know, kind of the best we've seen. And if that's worth fifty-five million, which it, it might be, he's a really productive player. Uh, on his day and very useful generally, like you mentioned, you can play in all these positions. If that's that might be worth his fee alone. Um, both both parties kind of win. We we weren't going to sign him. He gets to play. United needed him. I don't know if that's one we're going to fully regret regret um, in that sense. But yeah, it's just one of those things you got to evaluate case by case. Um, but we are doing it, you know, all uh, multiple times at once is a little a little unusual. So um, with these young players, you just hope it doesn't doesn't bite you. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I stand on in general and these for, for these specific moves. Um, I hope it doesn't bite us too bad, but it might. Yeah, I kind of see this win this season where we have no Champions League, we have books to balance. I am we're selling to rivals because these are the these are the teams that are making offers reasonable offers for 
when Chelsea are in a situation where we need to get rid of players. We've seen what AC Milan are doing in regards to the offers for Pulisic. Some in the Chelsea Hour podcast say that they value him correctly because he's not particularly highly rated or he doesn't have a really positive track record at club level for Chelsea, especially with his injury history. But um, all in all, the offers for me come across as quite low and the offers that we've sold players for. So obviously um, 55 plus five for Mason Mount, over 65 million for Kai Havertz and um, 25 plus five for Kovacic seem very reasonable um, on a case-by-case players for those bases. So I think this is just um, a situation where we need to balance the books. We need to get rid of certain players and rival clubs just happen to be the teams that are coming in with reasonable offers for players that um, we can reasonably do without. So in the future, I don't think this is a case of um, they're throwing so much money in up throwing so much money at us, we can't say no. I don't think Chelsea are that kind of club to to succumb to that pressure because we are we, we have finances of our own. But um, in this instance, I'm just kind of seeing it as a bit of a blip as we kind of balance out the squad and um, we begin to find ourselves in this um, Bowley Clear Lake ownerships period. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. It's it's all of our transfer activity right now is is you know unusual. Um, it maybe isn't a new trend. It may be, uh, uh, I think a lot of it is a new trend. I think targeting the young players and the amount of spending, I think that's kind of stuff that's going to be a trend for the new ownership. But I think uh, these are kind of extenuating circumstances. You're right. Like all these contracts from the old regime kind of came to a head, you know, got a sticker twist with all these, all these guys. Um, and it's all happening at once because so many changes were made in the previous summer, as you mentioned, flying kind of by the seat of our pants before these directors were in and just plugging holes in the squad with players who were available um, that we're kind of reckoning with that now. It's a lot of sales. I do agree the Milan offers are a little low. The Ruben price kind of surprised me. The offers for Pulisic are a little low. Um, but the market's not the same. And the reason, you know, you mentioned the rivals are the ones who have the money, right? That's the case. The Premier League clubs are the ones who have the money, period. And that's not going to change just because it's our rivals. Um, and so if our, you know, mess or their, our loss is their gain in this particular instance, I guess, I guess so be it. Um, and we just hope we didn't sell, you know, the wrong players to the wrong teams. Yeah, well said. Um, and I'm also looking at Milan sideways because I'm just thinking, wait, don't you have that Tonali money? Yeah, why don't you run that back to England? But um, exactly. they're also not demanding a ton for. Um... Oh, never mind. Never mind. Continue, continue. I don't want to get on that tangent. <laughs> Fair. Um, you mentioned it uh, in terms of the young signings that we've um, signed. Obviously, uh, Angelo Gabriel, Kendry Pires, Cesare Casade, Andre Santos, um, Dujon Richards. Uh, who else? We've just signed a left back from Everton to be in the under twenty one team for about four point five million pounds. Now I'm just kind of thinking, what's your thoughts on this kind of youth acquisition rush? Because one, I would like to preface this with, just because we sign them, just because, just because we sign in Angelo Gabriel doesn't mean he's better than um, uh, Tudor uh, Mendel Ado, for example, um, or someone else that's already in the academy. Um, 
that's one thing I'd like to preface. Um, and secondly, just kind of obviously there's a clear shift in direction. Um, we're not the only European powerhouse that's made that shift in direction. You see Madrid the last several years have been trying to buy the next Galactico before they're, they're, they're actually ready to call themselves Galacticos and it's worked out quite nicely for them. Um, so yeah, maybe we've seen that success and with the new scouting network and the new people in charge of recruitment um, and Neil Bath with a more um, empowered role um, we're trying to sign the next big thing before they become the next big thing from a price tag perspective. What's your view on it, Buzzy? Um, yeah, you, you, you touched on a lot of it. It is, I think on paper and on the macro level, a good idea that makes sense to an extent. Um, <laughs> I even, I, I, I clicked onto Twitter as I was talking and, you know, uh, Flamengo quoting 21 million pounds for uh, Theus Franca. Like, are we going to spend that much more on another kid who, and I mean, a talent, but uh, we're, you know, the obvious question eventually is like, where, where do all these players go? Um, I think that's sort of the issue. So the, on the positive side, I'll start there. I think uh, overall, the ownership clearly has a bit more of a financial view of the club in terms of money in, money out. For now, it's a lot of money in. And I'll just preface, the owners have made a ton of mistakes and changed a lot probably too soon. They at least, which is a big concern when, you know, owners, new owners come in, especially American owners, having seen what the Glazers have done to United, et cetera, et cetera. The concern, even among like um, FSG at Liverpool, like they made a very good team, but they had a, a spending limit or they refused to spend X, Y, Z. The main concern is they don't actually put money into the club after getting it. And it's kind of just, you know, a dead horse or they take money out of the, out of the team. Um, that is clearly not, at least for now, what's happening. Um, I know private equity kind of has that view maybe long-term and it's kind of one of those things it's like they're seeing it on a longer scale. Um, but you can't, for better or worse, I guess, and we'll see what the end result is, you can't complain about the amount of money they've poured in and the effort they are going to to get talents. And I think to wrap that kind of idea up, the idea is money in, eventually will be money out and they want to increase whether these kids end up playing simply as academy players um, who make our academy teams player and uh, our academy teams better rather and graduate to the first team, you know, the best of them, or if they simply sign them as academy players, loans or academy player straight to sale for a profit. Um, that seems to be the idea behind a large swath of these. And then there seems to be a separate bucket of really top talents that are earmarked or intended for the first team either now or, or very soon. Um, for example, uh, Amari Hutchinson. I don't really know which bucket he falls into because that was seen like a coup at the time. And he was like, Arsenal's top talent, all this stuff. And he did get a little bit, you know, of senior of senior appearances. But I don't know really if it's like, oh, well, we got, you know, leave a space for him because he's definitely going to come in and, and play. He's not, really, he's not really in the picture currently. But then you get someone like Andre Santos and it's like, well, they're talking about, they might still loan him, but they're talking about like getting him a preseason, making sure Pochettino doesn't want to keep him. Um, and he seems very much earmarked for the first team. So I think there is good logic behind doing this and buying these talents young. And there's all sorts of ways to either make a profit from them or to get them into the team eventually. Um, and that is clearly, as I said, something that this new ownership group is concerned with is like money in, money out, um, running it as a profitable enterprise, which 
that is just what happens when you aren't owned by someone either with infinite money or who's willing to take a massive loss. We kind of knew that would be the case. Um, you obviously want them to do it correctly and make the bit, the best bets on young players who you don't overspend for. And if they don't end up playing for you, you can turn a profit on. Um, alternatively, uh, I mentioned that you do this as a good idea to an extent. And I feel like we're starting to hit or have already hit the extent part in that we've done it with so many players. Like they just, we keep signing the kids and then the next day two more are linked or one more are linked. Um, and you have to wonder if you look at a roadmap or you look at the, you know, the squad kind of depth chart, even even if you even if you leave a gray area, two, three, four seasons of these players' age gaps and development curves and this and that and alone here and alone there and this guy's going and then this senior player will age out or be sold and you know I'd like to think they have a big view of it like that but even even if they are thinking in that way there's now so many bodies that it's like at least in some positions it's like how how are all these guys ever they might they might not. I'm interrupting my own thoughts. They might they might never, you know, be intended or realistically play for the first team. But hypothetically, if you're looking at all of them, you're going, how can these guys similar age be brought in with these other guys who we already have who are the similar age? Um, for some people, that maybe is what they want. Um, the club might see a way to make a profit out of it. And uh, the upside to that is you get the best of the best and you keep them and that's who makes the first team. Full stop. And uh, the best players get into the team. But that's kind of an idealistic view, and it doesn't always work that way because players want guarantees or they want time sooner and their their position's already blocked in the first team, um, and you run the risk of sort of bloating the squad again, but with young talent. Now, if it's players who don't have to play and don't demand, you know, to be played because they weren't bought for a big fee, then it's, kind, it, you know, it's kind of okay. You sell one, you hopefully made money, and you move on. Um, but we saw a couple times in the recent past how that's made us lose a player here or there or um, – you know, some positions are just like central midfield. If we're only going to play with two and we buy, we just keep buying these young talents. It's, it's, you can't play them all at the end of the day. So I just think we need to be a little careful. Um, I feel emboldened by the fact you mentioned that Neil Bath is heavily involved in this. And I, I hope this is part of his vision and not just some um, optimistic, idealized view that the, that the directors have that we can buy nearly unlimited young players and either plug them in the academy or, or sell them or get them in the first team. Um, and that Bath sort of vision of stocking our academy with talents and and integrating a path to the first team is realistic, and it, it is driven by him um, because he's been given more more power, from what I understand. Um, I hope that's true. Uh, I would love for the optimistic, smart, scouting-driven, gem-finding value purchases to be to be correct and good. But a lot of these aren't very cheap, which is what's giving me pause. If we're buying people five million here or on a free here. Um, that's fine. But uh, some of these guys like Cassetti, I don't know if he's going to play for us even. Santos wasn't cheap. Uh, we're looking at this Brazilian kid I just mentioned is, is 20 million. Um, those are, those kind of add up. And, and I know, I know people have said um, it's kind of a different budget, but ultimately the, it's not really, it's not, it's not really a different budget, right? You can earmark your budgets, but that still takes from the same pool of money um, and the, the amount the club can possibly spend. So I just worry a little that too many of these, you know, take a flyer on this player, take a flyer on this player. If you're doing that at 15, 20 million pounds every time, that that adds up. And it does kind of, you're looking at the fact that we're still going to be starting Arisa Balaga as our keeper, kind of looking at the Onana sale price, which doesn't seem too bad. And and uh, a little bit wondering, is, is 40 million worth on two players worth not buying a new starting keeper? Um, so I, obviously this is a very long-term thing. 
I know I've talked at length about this. Clearly, clearly I have thoughts on it. Um, this is a very long-term thing we won't really get answers to for the time being, um, but I get the concern of like, how many of these kids are we going to buy? And also, where is that money, you know, as it relates to the first team going? So we'll have to probably wait and see. The talents are exciting. The shift to the younger squad is exciting. As long as we all understand patience and time, you know, we'll be, we'll be part of the equation. Yeah. Um, obviously, I'm a big youth aficionado. So, um, yeah, happy to kind of pad this topic of discussion out a bit more. In regards to what I would like for Chelsea, um, I think you raised some valid points about how many of these players are we signing and we're not signing them for three million here and there. These are sums what Casaday we spent around twenty million on. Um Andre Santos. Uh these aren't small figures. These are figures you'd pay for kind of like first team backups or rotation options. Um more recently. So um not small figures, but maybe we're looking at a high risk, high reward because um what forty five million euros for a 16, 17 year old Vinicius Jr. sounded like sounded a bit wild. Now you look back, excellent money spent um, in that situation, and Endrick wasn't exactly cheap either. So uh, I'm looking at Real Madrid in that regard and thinking, do you know what? They've, um, for the most part, got more right than wrong. Obviously, for every Vinicius and Rodrigo, they've got a Rainier that's just kind of in the wilderness. And unlike Chelsea, unlike Chelsea, Real Madrid don't have this kind of impending satellite system. And in regards to the satellite system, just as a bit of a segue, what I'm hoping for, uh, and I want to get your thoughts on what you're hoping for from, from the satellite system, is a tried and proven pathway of development that we can sell these young players on. And as fans, we can kind of use it as a gauge. So obviously, I've spoken about this multi on multiple um, Chelsea pods before, but the Red Bull like the, the the Red Bull model. So you have your Red Bull Bragatinos in Brazil. You have your um, obviously Red Bull New York. You have um, uh, Red Bull Leipzig. But everybody knows the pathway is: you sign, you go to a Red Bull Salzburg in Austria. You then go on loan to a leafering um, in the league below and you kind of um, get your experience and your minutes out there. You then um, at some point progress to Salzburg and then um, if you progress there, then um, you ideally go to Leipzig. But <clears throat> the pathway is clear. So that's what I would like. Uh, and if that's Strasbourg being the secondary club, the Chelsea satellite version of Red RB Salzburg, um, that's what I would like to see. And then if Chelsea, because that pathway is very clear, it's easy for fans to be like, okay, this person is progressing quite well, or they've been at um, leafering three seasons now. Are they really going to progress? Uh, maybe we don't need to put our hopes into him. And then one thing I'd also, another thing I'd like to see from Chelsea is also just the future planning. Um, it doesn't necessarily be be to the extreme levels of RB Salzburg in the sense that Erling Haaland goes. Okay, in comes Pats and Dakar. Pats and Dakar goes. Um, we'll we'll bring the next one in. So that's I'm not exact. I'm not. I'm not expecting that we don't consider the transfer market but just for the fact that um if we had a mind if we had a similar mindset um 
there's a lot of money that we save. Maybe if we had a mindset and a manager who was open to that mindset, we say, okay, let's um, wait. Let's make Lewis Hall our number two left back under Ben Chilwell. He gets minutes at left back. Um, not ideal for him because he sees himself as a midfielder, but he gets first team minutes um, regardless. Whilst Chilwell's injured, we don't spend 60 million on Mark Kukurea straight away. We wait into the summer and then we see how Ian Martin is progressing. We look at Kukurea and we also look at the market. Um, maybe that's a situation that we then go ahead and avoid. Similar to, obviously, like I said, maybe we give Levi Colwell minutes, we promote him. Instead of potentially purchasing Koulibaly, we put him alongside um, Trev Chalabar, Thiago, um, Thiago Silva, and we see how he performs. Then we look into the market again to see if um, we can if we can get Wesley Fofana with a one year further removed from his leg break, one year um, less on his contract, and obviously Leicester, which we now know to be relegated to the Championship. So maybe there's a there's a better deal to be done there. So what I would like to see is obviously from the satellite model is um, a clear pathway in terms of club, the, the satellite system in terms of tiers of progression and future planning in regards to we're not going to sign this player because we have someone on loan in mind um, to potentially fill that. So those are the two things I'm hoping for um, from kind of like the satellite system. Um, Buzzy, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, uh, all of that. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on all of that. Um, that is the idealized and correct thing to aim for if you were going to go down the path of, you know. Also, uh, sorry to interrupt yeah. you. I just wanted to mention one thing. Obviously, the thing at the Academy right now is this kind of vision 2030. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of what Bath and Fraser have kind of worked up. Um, so you'll see it um, list displayed throughout the Academy, this um, kind of vision, Project 2030. So there's five main targets for the academy, um, and I'll read them out to you. So target one, for academy players to contribute 15% of Chelsea's league minutes. Target two, for academy graduates to make up 25% of the first team squad. Target three, to have above national average GCSE and A-level results, which I'm, I'm definitely here for. And target four, to have more Cobham graduates in the professional game than any other academy. And the final target, to win more national and international competitions than any other academy. And this is all to be done by 2030. Yeah, this is uh, exactly the type of thing I said we won't have, um, you know, we won't have an answer in the immediate future, right? Like it's literally the, the year is, is right, written right on the, uh, on the package. Um, this is the sort of thing that whatever, and and we could have a whole, first of all, we could have a whole conversation on the owners and we could have a whole conversation on uh, the Academy. Um, this could be, this could be at whole episodes on their own, I'm sure. Um, but whatever you want to say about the owners separately, I think the commitment to, and whether it's just because they purely see it as a, as a way to make the club more profitable, um, they might, but so you will, the commitment to the Academy and sort of the young players, I think is both admirable and also just like the natural correct thing to do in a like rising tide lifts all boats kind of way. I think striving for this excellence, striving for the best young players around, snapping up talent, making Chelsea the name and young talent, um, establishing 
uh, connections with, you know, the grassroots in the local area and also establishing good relationships with the talent factories in South America um, and getting in on the ground floor of young talents and getting them either to the feeder clubs that we own or affiliate with or directly to Chelsea. All these things seem like, yes, it's a long-term goal, 2030, not that close. A lot of fans don't want to hear this because they want to win now. And hopefully we can do this while also making the first team more competitive. But regardless, fans are going to like to hear that because it's a, it's going to take a long time. Um, and I think that's part of the reality of new owners in general. I also think that's part of the reality in uh, with the kind of owners that bought us. Um, obviously, you know, Newcastle's owners have instantly made them better than they've been. Obviously, there's a lot of pros and cons to, to the, you know, that model and the owners and everything. Um, but the reality is this is the kind of group we have. And I think the academy side is exciting. And I think giving Bath the power and, and kind of doubling down on wanting to make these, these talent factories um, uh, kind of built within the club and, and have this commitment to excellence on and off the pitch and all this stuff is, is good, uh, if I could just put it you know, more bluntly. Um, wanting them to win, wanting them to come into the first team and win, wanting them to be, uh, do well in school, um, it's all positive. And I think it, you know, it's not all altruistic, right? I don't think it's like they want to do it just to do it. But I do think what they, obviously the owners have taken many missteps, but I do think the commitment to wanting to make the team better and more competitive has been true. I think that has been their goal, even though they've messed up or changed too much at once or been too arrogant or done whatever it is. Um, a, they want to make a profit because that's the, you know, it's a private equity and, capital funded owner group. Um, but B with, if you look at the other teams that are involved in like the Dodgers, it's spending to win because winning and being good and being successful and being a brand also make you more money. And football is this unique sort of thing where you can get these talents purely by spending and get them in and get them in early. And if you do that, especially if you do a lot of that up front, it kind of, creates a positive feedback loop in the future once you've set the stage for all this. And I think that's why so much is happening at once. And I think that's why all the spending both for the first team and for all these teenage or early twenties talents is happening. It's a, it's a long-term vision. Uh, it's an investment in youth in general. And the idea is just rising tides, lift all boats, spending on talents, good spending on young talent is good. And these players will grow and develop together. And the first team will also improve, whether by direct buys or by the best of the best talents coming through integrating to the first team. Um, that is the most optimistic view. That is the idealized version. Obviously, easier said than done, and we've already made many missteps. But I think there's a lot of talent we brought into the team, regardless of how the first team results went last season, uh, both in the current squad and in all of these you know, teenagers that we're, uh, we're adding to the, to the club. Um, I think you look like talent's undeniable. They're doing things. Uh, for their national sides at under 21 level and you know, the World Cups and um, they're leading their you know, age groups in a lot of different ways. So um, it, it, it's, it's easy to get sucked into the idea and say it's all going to work out great. So I'm not, I'm not doing that you know, with any sort of confidence, but I do like the idea and I do like the objective of it. I don't think we should just neglect the academy and the collect youth team that Chelsea worked really, really hard for years under Abramovich to build and make uh, as successful as it's been. And I love that they're not just looking the other way and being like, yeah, we have billions of capital, so we can just spend on first team players and we're just going to go for names and this and that. Like that is, that is a realistic path on how um, 
a new ownership could have gone, and that's not what we're doing really. We kind of did that the first window because we just needed names, and there's no there's no setup in place. Um, and I think this sort of thing, after we've sold a bloated squad, after we've gotten the players who want to leave out, after we've sort of reset the clock on the team, is kind of going to be how the club operates going forward. And I think there is a path to success this way that will require patience. Um, and for the satellite clubs, kind of a question mark exactly how we're going to use them to accomplish that. But I think loaning players straight there is the obvious one. Um, and having their academy players, the best of the best, come to the us and having a global footprint. Um, whether clubs should be allowed to do this in general is a totally different question, but clubs have already been doing it. Um, so uh, that's the bottom line. And I think um, on the negative side, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, we're just going to be Leipzig or oh, we're just going to be Brighton. And there is a fear that is fairly reasonable um, if you want to look at it that way and say, we're just going to be like a buy young talent, low, sell high factory and start becoming a selling club. That would be, that would be bad. I don't necessarily think that's the club's aim given the amount they've spent on some first team players and the amount they've spent on uh, all the staff for scouting and bring in these talents and bringing in players who aren't that cheap. Like we said, some of them are 20 million. Um, and obviously there's first team signings like Enzo, who is very, very expensive. Um, doing a sort of Red Bull model or Brighton model, but with way more money and a way wider scouting net and, and just power and, and network. Uh, yes, that's similar to what they're doing, but that's also, a, that's a, I mean, doing that bigger and better is very appealing. You get money, you get, look at all the players and success those clubs have generated and had. Um, if you do that across the board, you do that in every position, and you do it with way more money than those teams have, you can have a really good squad uh, now and in the future. So I don't necessarily think, you know, it could, it could end up more like city than it could those teams if you do it well. Um, so it's impossible to have a clear answer on it, but I think I get the idea and I like a lot of the thought behind it. Um, we'll see about the execution. And uh, as you mentioned, we won't know for some time because 2030 is not, not so close, but uh, I love, I love the idea. Nice. Um, and we'll just finish off on our kind of um, flagship signing, Christopher and Kunku. Um, high profile, probably wouldn't have signed for us had he waited to <laughs> sign in the summer. You don't, uh, think, you don't think we impressed him enough? Uh, not off last season. Not, not unless his favourite number is 12 and he likes not being <laughs> in the Champions League. So, um, yeah. Sometimes it pays to do those moves early, I guess, for different reasons than you think. For sure, for sure. So now we're kind of looking at where he fits in, in terms of what's his best position. At Paris, when he was at PSG, he was more of a box-to-box eight. He's then kind of found this niche role um, within RB Leipzig, and it's a role that doesn't really exist in the current Chelsea um, setup well, last season. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of system a Pochettino goes with and um, if he will face the similar kind of positional um, dilemmas that um, a Timo Werner faced. Um, And just for context, I'm not comparing him to Timo Werner. I'm just kind of, uh, I think he's a much better player, much more capable of making things happen with his own skill set and dribbling and off-the-ball work, unlike a Timo Werner. But I'm just kind of 
interested to see how he's uh, used by Maurizio Pochettino um, in the current Chelsea squad. What's your take on it, Buzzy? Um, yeah, I put him. I put him on the uh, you know the list of topics because I just think it's both interesting and really key to uh, you know how well we do next season and beyond. Um, I'm I'm more than anything, and I'm not saying I have the answer because I'm more than anything curious about where he lands for us. Um, there's been talk, both I think from him, I think he mentioned liking playing as a striker, and he's definitely been used there. And there's been speculation he's going to be used there. I think having sold Mount and Havertz that I would expect him to be in the hole behind the striker and especially having bought Nicholas Jackson um, that Broja and Jackson will kind of be the out and out strikers and he'll be the one sort of in the what is traditionally the 10 role but won't really be used in that way um, it's more of a second striker but like you said he's he's a unique player because he's a shooter who scores a lot of goals but he creates a lot of himself uh, for himself with dribbling and he just – you don't want to get too carried away because, A, just the general signing kind of flops we've had of late of, of people who should be a sure thing, and B, because specifically Bundesliga production not translating uh, as it should, um, or as you, you'd hope it would at least. Um, but he, he can do a lot of every – like, he does a lot well. He, I think on paper and what we've seen, and even in the Champions League and around the Bundesliga, he's, he is quite good. Uh, I don't think – I know people looking at Werner's numbers, he scored this many goals too, but like you said, he has a lot more to his game. And I'm, I'm really hopeful that we, we pulled off like one of our better moves and all of these transfer buys by, by getting him, especially like you said, getting him before uh, we were really, really bad and he wouldn't have come. Um, so I'm really excited by him, but I think every big signing uh, uh, because of how many of ours have gone lately has that sort of fear, like, if this guy doesn't work out, we should just stop. We should just stop buying players because he was so good before. And we just keep ruining them. Like so, I really hope it doesn't go down that route. But um, I think the pseudo, not not really a midfield three. If it is a midfield three, you could look at it that way. He'd be he'd be obviously the most advanced. Um, not really a CM in any sense, and not really an eight, but kind of feeding into the midfield. It depends exactly how our system works and if we actually you know get Casado or, or or other targets. Um, but I think he's going to play, you know, between the two wide players and behind the striker. Maybe we'll see him up top sometimes. I'm just, I'm mostly very curious and I am cautiously very excited by him. For me, he's one of those players that because he's the flagship marquee signing of the, of pretty much our window or our season going forward. Um, unless a certain Brighton defensive midfielder comes in, Caicedo, um, because everyone has kind of their preferences of the types of players they like. Um, for me, like for just as an example, I like a big centre forward um, that can hold up the ball. But also, if they have, if they, if I love big centre forwards with feet that can dribble, get um, make space and get their shots off, and if they can um, also run in behind um, even more. When it comes to attacking midfielders or kind of when it comes to attacking midfielders or hybrid players, I'm not as keen on um, someone of Nkunku's profile just because I would rather you be a clear attacking eight or ten or a clear wide man um, so you know what you are um, 
And whilst it doesn't add as much tactical flexibility as some managers would like, um, your position is defined and um, those positions exist within um, whatever system Chelsea want to go for. And then um, you can then be coached into the specific roles and responsibilities needed um, to fit in whatever system Pochettino wants to play in. But because it's kind of unclear, is he going to be a 10? Is he going to kind of drift out on the left? Is he going to be an eight? Yeah, I would rather he was just, we knew for sure he's either going to be an eight, he's either going to be a 10 or he's going to play out wide. Um, and then we could kind of set expectations and kind of um, have a clearer understanding of where he might play under Chelsea and under in, in, a, in a Pochettino Chelsea system. Um, what do you think? That's a fair concern because then you're, you're, what we're getting back to is, at least from what you're saying, your concern is back into the Mount and Havertz issue of like, how do we use this guy? Exactly. That's exactly it. So now we just, just got out of that issue. <laughs> exactly. So I'm just kind of like, why couldn't we just sign a centre forward? Why couldn't we just sign a box to box eight? So we know, okay, he's replacing Mount Havertz in a midfield capacity um, alongside Conor Gallagher, Enzo, and Carney, and and whoever else is sticking around um, this season as well. Yeah, I, I do get that as a concern. I think I've seen, and he has played in quite a few positions um, and, and kind of roles uh, previously. So it is no guarantee he plays where I'm kind of envisioning. Um, I think generally speaking, he will play centrally and we have other wide players to either, you know, compliment or, or compensate for that. Um, but you're right. He has played wide. He's played up top. So it does kind of bring that question mark back in, even though to me, given the players we left and the players we sold, I think he almost has to fill in centrally. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's another. It's another kind of. Where does he go? Where does he play? Um, the good news is he's been pretty effective in in all of those spots. But that wasn't a Chelsea. That wasn't the Premier League. So, TBD. Yeah, for sure. So, with that, um, I think we can um, end tonight's recording here. Um, Buzzy, thank you very much for being on the pod with me. Yeah, man, thank you. Been been a good talk. Uh, hopefully we do it again soon. Yeah, definitely. Been a pleasure. And um, of course, thank you to you, the listeners. Um, let us know what you think. Um, please engage on socials. And until the next time. Sports Social Podcast Network.